Good morning. It's good to see y'all today. And the crowd went mild. I appreciate all that response there. You're going to have to help me. But I'm happy to be here. Mark um, asked me to come up and hang out with y'all. And I always look for an excuse, but there's something wrong with his brain. because the only. But most of the time when I get to come, it's like February. And uh, I remember a few years back, he had me come every Sunday in February. And... And I was complaining about the weather, and then one week I had to leave here and go to Winnipeg for a few days to do television. And I came back, and I confessed to the church then, and I'll confess to you now, after spending time in Winnipeg, I'll never complain about the weather in Green Bay ever again. So we're glad to be here. Mark actually got to go to Sturgis with us to the motorcycle rally last year, and I, I don't know why. I should have thought about sending up some pictures of, of him in action because I have one where after we were doing two performances a day, one at a stage in downtown Sturgis. For those of you who don't know what Sturgis is, that's the largest motorcycle rally in the world. They have about 600,000 people show up in western South Dakota the first full week of August. And, you know, to put that in perspective, South Dakota's population is 700,000. And uh, so we go and we do concerts on the street, and then we were asked to play at a place called the Legendary Buffalo Chip. And uh, it's not you know, the Legendary Christian Buffalo Chip. And, uh, and so I have, a, I have a really great picture of Mark after both of our performances in one day. He is collapsed in a chair with his ball cap pulled down over his eyes. And my response to that was, he's a sissy. But, uh, but that, that was a great outreach that we did last August. And I just got word from them this week that uh, they want us to return and to come back and do that. What we do there is, you know, we, you know, and I'll get to my message here in a minute, but I wanted to bring you up to date to this for this stuff. We sow a seed. God trusts seed a whole lot more than we do. And in every culture that we enter into, there's a connection to spiritual things. A good example in the Bible is that the Apostle Paul was in a city and there was a monument there to the unknown God. And he didn't bother to question whether that was right theologically or not. He just said, let me tell you about that guy. And so with the biker community, every biker wants their motorcycle to be prayed over. And so they, they call it the bike blessing. It's so popular that last year at the Vatican, Pope Francis did a bike blessing for Harley Davidson's 110th anniversary. And, and so we've created this CD called a bike blessing CD. And I stuck a prayer on the front of it, blessing the rider and his bike. And then it's got some of my music, and it's got mine and my wife Sherry's story on it. And we give away thousands of those every year as we perform at the rally. And they're a seed that we believe that we plant into people's hearts, and they take that, and they go home, and they listen to it. And many, many people have come back to us from all over the world, as far away as Australia, and have emailed us and told us how much impact that has had in their life. And we give away thousands of those while we're performing there. Just a few weeks ago, you all sewed into our ministry as we had an outreach that we were doing at a prison in central Kansas, and you all funded that. Every year we go to prisons. We have six prison events scheduled for next year, but we go to one particular prison in central Kansas called Ellsworth Correctional Center, and it's a remarkable institution and that the state of Kansas allowed the chaplain and the warden to raise a half a million dollars, and there they built a facility, a church, right on the campus 
of the prison. And when you walk into that facility, the first thing you see is this building with a steeple on it. And it's the Spiritual Life Center. There's 850 men that are incarcerated there. And we go there over Christmas and once in May. We do Christmas because it's the most depressing time for men to be incarcerated. Yes, they're all convicted felons. Yes, they have punishment that they need to pay. But there's still people that have great value and worth to the heart of God because Jesus died for them. And so we go and we perform and then go cell to cell as the community prepares gifts for each of the 850 men. And we give those. And you all made that possible this year. And from Sherry and I, the band in our ministry, we just wanted to say thank you for doing that for us this year. Grab your Bibles and turn to John chapter 12, verse 21 will be my text. I want to speak to you a message today that I just kind of stole a phrase out of this verse. And it's, it says this, John 12, 21, it says this. Then they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and asked him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. I've titled my message this morning, We Wish to See Jesus. We live at a critical moment in history. I believe that we've come to a place in time where as believers we have a decision to make and that that decision will empower us to demonstrate Jesus to our world in a way that will be undeniable. The first decision we must make is are we going to continue to believe the gospel and place our faith wholly in the finished work of Jesus through the cross and the resurrection. We sang about that just a few minutes ago. We sang about those things and we confessed those things when we talked about, when we confessed the Apostles' Creed. We have to choose to continue to believe the gospel. But so many times in the great struggle in the New Testament is that there was a mixture that confused the gospel. A mixture between the God of fear and wrath or the God of love and peace shown to us by Jesus. Choosing to live in the new covenant will allow people to see the real Jesus in our planet will be transformed. His character being formed in our heart and transformed in our lives and shown to the world. Seeing Jesus is the great, the great cry of mankind. Let me say that again. Seeing Jesus is the great cry or desire of mankind. It is the cry of our culture and the only thing that satisfies the longings in our hearts and in our spirits. I believe this every generation has this cry. We wish to see Jesus. Jesus came to this earth to demonstrate to us the reality of who the Father is. He said in John 14, 9, he said to Philip again, he said, have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you don't know who I am? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Jesus came to demonstrate the reality of who God is in his character and his virtues. And then in turn, in, John, in 1 John 4, 17, the apostle says this, Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this present world. Jesus came to demonstrate the Father to us, and in turn, we are to then demonstrate the realities of who Jesus is to the world around us. And I think many times we have a confused, mixed message. 
We don't necessarily place our wholehearted faith and trust in the reality of what Jesus accomplished by his birth, by his life, through his death, and through his resurrection. Because to me, as many times I've been preaching the gospel now for 37 years, and every time I preach the gospel, I always walk away with the sense of asking myself this question, did I preach the gospel good enough? Did I communicate who Jesus is, the reality of who God is, good enough? So I have discovered some things in looking at the character of God, his character, his virtues, some key issues that if we're really going to, if people come to us and ask us the question, which they are asking us the question, they might form it in the exact, not in the exact way that the apostle John formed him here, or that Philip's, the men that came to Philip spoke it. They might not ever say to you, we wish to see Jesus, but with the cries of their hearts, wired in the very DNA of their soul, they're crying out to you and saying, would you show me Jesus? And what they're looking for are the characteristics and virtues of God showing up in your life and from your heart. So I have a whole bunch of things here and I'm gonna start into them. And I believe this is a limitless topic. But I want to just talk to you about some of the things that I believe that people are longing to see from you and I that helps them to identify Jesus in us. Number one, goodness. Goodness. Goodness slash kindness may be some of the most powerful tools that we can use to show Jesus to all. A foundation of goodness and kindness in our lives are essential for success and happiness. The reality of the power of goodness is this. Romans 2, 4 says, are you, Do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? The reality of change that we need to have happen in our lives and in the world around us happens when we see the reality of the goodness of God. And that goodness in turn leads us to, ch- to repentance, which really means to change our mind. To repent means to change your mind concerning the truth and the goodness of God pulls back the veil that causes us to see the reality of who he is, how much he loves us, and it will change us forever. I believe our world is crying out asking for us to demonstrate his goodness. And I'm going to quit counting because I've got a whole bunch of these that I'm skipping. So if you're going to keep, I'll try to keep track, but if I get it confused, please don't correct me. (laughs) Number two, if we're going to demonstrate God to the world around us, we must demonstrate love. We must demonstrate love. Love is the indefensible strategy of heaven. It is the indefensible strategy of heaven. The Bible assures us that if we love, that love never fails. Never fails. The love of God shows us his value for everyone. Sinner and saint. My favorite verse in the Bible is Romans 5.8. It says this, But God demonstrates his own love towards us, in that while we were still sinners, 
Christ died for us. I love that passage of scripture because it helps me reconcile the failures of my past. God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. How I reconcile that in my own heart is this way. When I think back into my past, to the moment when I was my most sinful, when I was my most ugly, when I was my most unlovely, that's a nice theological term right there, when I was just the ugliest, nastiest, dirtiest sinner that I can ever remember. Jesus was not afraid to step into my world and say, I'll take him just like that. I have value for him just like that. And the love of God shows us his value for all of mankind, sinner and saint. God has a high regard, esteem for all mankind. Mankind is the crown of his creation. The love of God shows us the worth that he places on all of creation. His love even goes so far as to deliver us from wrath. Romans 5, 9 tells us much more then. Now having been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath, from, from wrath through him. The love of God should be the seed of our emotions. Until we are settled in the love of God, we will not be settled emotionally. And listen, I want to tell you something. Part of transformation is for us to be transformed emotionally. Our emotions are transformed and renewed to, afflict, to affect his emotions. God's love works in us perfectly. His love never fails. And if there was ever something that our world is crying out for, it's crying out for you and I to show up loving people. I've never seen it not work. I have the opportunity to be in places that most of you shouldn't go. And it's always amazing to me that if I have this virtue in my life towards those people of genuinely having value for them, it's always so amazing to me to watch as their hearts open up. As believers, we aren't those who are astute of having relationships with unbelievers. We have to work at it. I have to work at it. But every relationship that I'm in, I know this much, that if I value them, they're going to receive that value. If I love them, they're going to embrace that value. And, they're going, and there's going to be change that takes place. I remember one time I was on the, um, I was doing a prison event at Angola, Louisiana State Penitentiary in Angola. It's a massive historic place for its size for its self-sufficiency because it's completely self-sufficient and for its violence. And we were doing events there and um, we were doing cell-to-cell -cell walkthroughs and they took us into a cell block and it was a southern prison so it looked like a southern prison. There was no air conditioning, bars, 
And we, me and, me and a friend, we were doing a walkthrough to the men that had broken the law in prison. So that meant they weren't getting out. They were there and they were confined and they were only going to get out just a few minutes every day. The worst of the worst. And I remember we, I was finished and I looked down at the end of the cell block and my friend was there and I walked, and I walked back and I was met by this massive man in a white jumpsuit behind bars that was open to his waist with a tattoo over his heart that said, Born to Lose. And I looked at him and I stuck my hand through the bars and said, Hi, I'm Jimmy. And with an ice cold stare, he looked at me and said, You mean you're not afraid to shake my hand? And I said, Should I be? And I said, no, I'm not afraid to shake your hand. And he told me his name. And I looked at him and I said, you know that tattoo over your heart that says born to lose? I said, that's a lie. And he said, that's what your friend just said. He said, but I'm just so angry. If I don't like you, I'll hurt you. Can God do anything to help me not be so angry? And I began to explain to him, about the value that God had for him, about the love that God has for him. And I began to tell him about how he needed to not only forgive those that had hurt him, but to forgive himself for hurting other people. I was back on a visit a few months later, and I asked about this man. And the, the officer I was talking to said, you know, he, he was the most violent man out of 18,000 men in this institution. And he said, and something happened in his heart. There was something that happened a few months ago, and now he's able to be in population and to conduct his life here at Angola. You see, the love of God knows no bounds. It's only waiting for you to express that reality by how you value people. All right, that was number two, right? Number three, y'all keep me counting. Number three, this one's personally my favorite, peace. If we're going to demonstrate Jesus to people, we need to demonstrate the reality of peace. Romans 15, says this, now, may, now the God of peace be with you all. Romans 16, 20 says, and the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. The kingdom that we're involved in, the kingdom of God, is a kingdom of peace. Romans 14, 17 says, For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Peace is an attribute that will transform your life. You will accomplish more in a moment of peace than in days of strife and stress. I can remember one time when Sherry and I, for those of you that don't know my wife, she said to tell you hello. But Sherry and I, we were, our history is, is that we were, devo we were married. We met each other at a Black Sabbath concert. <laughs> we did, we were both tripping, and I couldn't tell if she was really that beautiful or if I was hallucinating. And, uh, and we got married, and we called that marriage the marriage made in hell. Because that's all there was around our house, was a whole bunch of that. It's in the Bible, so don't be offended that I said hell. And, uh, and we, we then got divorced, because our marriage was so bad. It was so bad that my grandmother paid for our divorce. Granny did. 
And, uh, but then after about a year, we started seeing each other. We had to hide from Granny because she wanted her money back. But uh, we had to hide from her. And we got married again. And during our second wedding ceremony, the only way the pastor would marry us was if I would believe on Jesus. Now, he didn't explain that to me. He was about this much bigger than me, and I was afraid of him. So I said yes. And, and so we got back together and got married. But we, you know, even though we were both now born again and we were different and, and we were transformed, we still had all of the habits and our, the learned behavior from before which meant all we knew how to do was fight. And I can remember, and I grew up in an environment where I never heard my parents ever say a cross word to each other. There was always peace and calm in our house. And I can remember one day coming home from work, pulling in the driveway, looking at my house, and I was afraid to go inside because I knew there was a good possibility there was an angry woman in there. And I just couldn't face it. And I can remember sitting there trying to get up the courage to go inside. And I might have told you this story before, but it's worth telling again. And I can remember sitting there, and finally I find my finger pointing at the house. And I begin screaming at the house. The peace of God lives in that house, and those people that live in that house, they're people that are ruled by the peace of God, and that house has a testimony for the peace it possesses all right rock on went inside and we had a fight and uh, but something happened in my heart I didn't know what I was doing but I had connected to the virtue of God in his in his own declaration of his character to be the God of peace and I was speaking, prophesying to my home. And those words, your words, have creative power. And they will transform things once they're down in your heart, and that's who you believe. And I believed in that moment it was possible for my marriage to be changed and for the environment of my house to be transformed. You can accomplish more in a moment of peace than in days of strife. 1 Corinthians 14.33 says, For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. Where there is strife, God is not. And you and I need to be people that demonstrate the reality of the peace of God. Peace goes beyond our minds, Philippians 4.7 tells us. As we walk in peace, we bring peace to trouble and not strife. There's a whole world of people out here around us that live in a world full of strife and confusion. And they're waiting for someone to show up and to speak peace into their world. And I know that you and I are those things. So that was number three. I'll do one more and then I'll quit. Number four, hope. Hope. God is the God of hope. This is one of the big three from 1 Corinthians 13, 13. It says, three things will last forever, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. God is the God of hope as he's always looking for the best. 
His hope always expects the best. His hope always inspires us with the best. His hope always moves us towards the best. We are filled because of Christ in us with his hope. No matter how negative it is, because of his hope, we have a, he has a confident expectation of a godly outcome. Psalm 94, 19, I love this verse, says, When doubts fill my mind, your comfort gave me renewed hope and cheer. That's, that's the reality of God and who he is. And when we believe on Jesus, we have the assurance that he is residing within us. He's not the God out here someplace. He's the one that has chosen to take up a boat inside of our hearts. And we have this hope of better things. And there are people all around you and I that are waiting for someone to show up in their world that's full of hope. And that can see something in them to instill hope in them. You know, I think about this often. I think about the reality of how dark so many places are and so many people's lives are. They're full of hard times. They're full of difficult situations. And what they need is someone who believes in them like Jesus believes in them. And just show up and see potential and see hope and begin to instill hope in their hearts. I know there are probably many of you that are here today that you desperately need a word of hope. And I want to give this to you this morning. God is not disappointed in you. He's not afraid of your failures. He's not afraid of your sin. He's not afraid of your, your shortcoming. He's not afraid of anything. Because he says this about himself. He says, I am love. And he goes on to say that perfect love casts out fear. The hope that he desires for you has no fear attached to it. He only wants you to put your fear aside and believe what he has to say about you and about me. He's the God of hope. When, we can, when people can't find hope, we can bring them hope. We can bring them. So let me close by saying this. When people come to us and they're in desperate situations, their life's fallen apart, they have nowhere to turn, what they're doing is standing before you and saying, I wish to see Jesus. I want you to know that you have the resources, the power, the experience, and the ability to be able to open up your life to them and say, here he is. Look at this hope. Here he is. Look at this peace. Here he is. Look at this love. And it'll change people's worlds. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for allowing us to be together today, for allowing us to stand in this house and to hear the sacredness of your word sung, prayed, confessed, and preached. And Lord, I pray that for each of us that we would get this inspiration down in our heart 
that everywhere that we go, we can demonstrate the reality of who you are because of your great love for us. Thank you, Father. Lord, I pray most of all that as we leave here today, that we would not only hear this word, but that we would do this word. And I thank you for it, Father, and I bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Amen.